stay patient slash, you know, trust the process. You know, don't get overwhelmed or disheartened if things don't happen as quickly as you wanted them to. You know, most entrepreneurs don't say, I made more money faster than I thought I would. It's usually the, the other way around. The other piece of advice I would give is on the other end, once you do reach a level of success, stay hungry and stay humble because there are people going to be coming behind to try to knock you off the top. And the moment you get complacent or put things completely on autopilot is when, you know, things can go south very quickly. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and on today's episode, Nick Friedman, the president and co-founder of College Hunks Hauling Junk, joins us to talk about his experience growing a multi-million dollar franchise from a college startup. With an old cargo van borrowed from his business partner's mom, the two managed to grow the company into what is now one of the largest and fastest growing junk removal franchises in America. I hope you enjoy this episode. Nick, it's so exciting to have you here with us today. You know, I know we've worked with you from the University of Tampa. We've worked with you and your company for a number of years, and you know a lot about what we we do here, and I work with college entrepreneurs every day, mm-hmm. and you and Omar are such an inspiration to them because your ideas kind of came out of college minds, right? This The idea for this company, you were, you were college students. Could you tell us, just get us started today and tell us a little bit about that story? Where did College Hunks Hauling Junk come from? Yes. So first of all, thanks for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be here. And, you know, our story started in college. We were brought up to follow the more traditional career path. You work hard in school, you get good grades, you get a degree, and you get a job. And so entrepreneurship actually wasn't something that we even considered while we were in school. The summer before our senior year, we were home for summer vacation, and I had an internship in Washington, D.C. that looked great on my resume, but it was just really unfulfilling for me. It was an office job. And my buddy from high school, who's now my business partner, approached me that summer, and he had this beat-up cargo van from his mom's furniture store. And he said, hey, we can use the van to make some extra money this summer, moving people's stuff, hauling people's junk. And his mom is actually one that came up with the name. She joked. She was like, you guys are like the college hunks who haul junk. And we kind of laughed at first when she said it. And they were like, you know, that's got a catchy name to it. So we just put computer printout flyers in the mailboxes around town that summer. People had a need for the service. They thought the name was catchy. And we ended up submitting a business plan to an entrepreneurship competition our senior year of college. And it won first prize. So that gave us a little more confidence in the idea, a little more credibility to the concept. But we still quit that our job, or we still got regular jobs after college full time, and then decided, you know what, this isn't for us. Let's start the business full scale. And, and there were definitely some raised eyebrows and some doubters in those days because I think entrepreneurship wasn't as viable a path back then right, in right. the early 2000s when you know it seemed like a risky proposition. So people were like, you're going to quit your jobs to do what? Haul junk? And it's going to be called what? College hunks? Are you going to throw away your college degree to start a trash business? And so we kind of used that as motivation and kind of fuel for our fire to prove them wrong and to create ultimately a national brand, which is what we have today. Yeah, you've done a great job. It's so exciting. And and I know as a parent that I want my jobs to be, my kids to be 
getting jobs because I want them to be working and I want them <laughs> to be making money. So it's kind of hard for parents sometimes to understand that, you know, and I'm even an enlightened parent who understands entrepreneurship. But did you ever start companies at a younger age? Were you entrepreneurial from, from day one or is this kind of, was this kind of the first time? So I think I had a entrepreneurial energy and kind of a restless spirit at a young age. Mostly it was kind of getting into what I would call kind of harmless trouble where it would be, you know, talking out of turn in class or not being wanting to sit still or or, or wait in line. There weren't a ton of entrepreneurial ventures. I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C., so if it snowed, we'd go and knock on the neighbor's doors and offer to shovel their walks, you know, for for money. But it wasn't like I was starting businesses periodically. I think I just kind of had this restless entrepreneurial energy that maybe didn't quite fit the traditional, you know, academic structure or or formal infrastructure. And so, you know, got me in a little bit of trouble. We Omar and I joked that we actually, I think we met in detention in 10th grade. <laughs> we can't really remember what our offenses were at the time, but it was probably for, you know, like I said, you know, cracking jokes in class or or sort of not listening when the teacher was talking. So I think that energy we've been able to harness because I think a lot of it was just sort of our creative spirit and and enthusiasm that, you know, once we found this kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, we were able to attach that energy to and then have something that we were passionate about. And it's not like we were passionate about hauling junk or moving people's furniture, but we were, we, when we started down the path of starting a business, it's like, oh, okay, we're passionate about creating something from nothing, creating value, providing a service that people enjoy, some of the creative ideation process around the branding and the marketing strategies, that started to become a lot of fun for us. And that's actually when I first learned what the word entrepreneur was. When we were telling people what we were doing, they were like, oh, so you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what that word means. So right. it's kind of people that start start a business. It's interesting. I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs. They're like, I didn't know that's what I was, but people started <laughs> telling me I'm an entrepreneur. You know, one of the cool things that you all have done too is I know at least one of our students is now a franchise owner. So you've actually helped a lot of young people become business owners. So you've helped breed entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. So I always tell the story. When we first started the business, we were doing the work ourselves. So we were driving the truck, answering the phone, hauling the junk. And people had, we had our 800 number on the back of our trucks routed to our cell phones. So people would call the 800 number to complain about erratic driving. And I'd be the one in the in the, in the driver's <laughs> the seat answering the phone, apologizing, saying, listen, we don't condone that type of driving in our company you know, we'll tell those guys to be safer on the road. So we probably fired ourselves three or four times that first summer. And we started to burn out a little bit because there was only so much that the two of us could move in a single day. And one of our mentors recommended to us a book called The E-Myth Revisited it's oh, yeah. by Michael Gerber. Gerber yeah. And really the key message there is work on the business, not in the business, create systems and processes for the business to scale. Because if you're going to ever have another truck, let alone another location, you've got to have those systems and processes. And so once we started doing that, we were able to start hiring people and then eventually start down the path of franchising the business. And one of our core values as a company is building leaders. And the idea is you know, we don't want to just hire movers and haulers that are joining the company to get a paycheck and move people's stuff, but we want to create a platform of professional development where the young men and women who come in and work for our company can learn and grow and become better professionals that are going to help serve them in their future endeavors, both inside and outside of the workplace. 
but also because we have a franchise opportunity that opens up the door of potential franchise ownership for our employees as they move up within the organization. So, you know, you mentioned one of our franchise owners, Trent Lott, who went to University of Tampa, was working at our franchise here in Tampa, and then ultimately kind of raised his hand as he was coming up for graduation to say, hey, I want to own one of these businesses myself. And he's done phenomenal. I mean, he's a hard worker, has really taken the model that we have in place and and executed it really well. And so those are really fulfilling stories for me as a founder to kind of see that, you know, this idea we had has now turned into not just a job opportunity for our employees, but a business opportunity for our franchise owners as well. Right. I love that. You know, you mentioned, you've mentioned Omar several times, your business partner. You were friends at an early age, and mm-hmm. you've been in business together for almost 15 years. Could you tell us your secret? Because <laughs> I can tell you, I know more business partners that just can't survive you know what's interesting? Even. So, the, so the, what I boil it down to is the two basic most important things to our partnership has been that our vision and our values have always been in kind of perfect harmony and alignment. So the direction of where we're going with the organization and how we get there, which is what we define as our sort of set of company core values, we've agreed on at the very early stages and and we, you know, touch base and communicate regularly to check in and make sure we're still kind of on the same page in that regard. I think a lot of people, you know, have familiarity with a family member or a friend and they're like, oh, let's start the business together. But business, as we know, is not linear. It's not easy. There's adversity. And so that stress and strain can put a very big strain on the relationship that ultimately deteriorates not only the business partnership, but also the friendship or or family atmosphere, you know, dynamic, right? So I think, you know, for us, we've been really fortunate because our friendship had had us have such a level of trust and comfort with one another that we also don't take things personally or harbor resentment. Like we communicate if one of us is upset about something. I mean, we've even had physical altercations in the early days if we weren't agreeing <laughs> on something, but it was like right back to business immediately afterwards. It was like we weren't even thinking about what it was that we were arguing about before. We just got right back to the vision and the values and, and execution. So the tactics might vary, and, and but as long as everybody's working hard and, and communicating, I think that's the most important part from a, any partnership or relationship. Yeah, I think that communication is critical. Absolutely. All of that. So that that's great lessons, I think, for everybody. You know, sorry, I mean, yeah. the one thing I'll add to that is also being willing to have difficult conversations. Right. And, you know, it takes two, obviously, in a partnership. They both have to be willing to kind of be vulnerable and and let their guard down and, and see the other person's side and perspective. And so I think some of it's been intentional, but I think some of it we've just gotten really fortunate. And it's been fun because now we've been able to celebrate this journey with somebody who I was a friend with as, you know, in, as a high schooler to be on this kind of business journey together. We've been able to sort of celebrate the triumphs and and recover from the, the adversity setbacks that, that have come up as well. So you've had each other for that mm-hmm. journey. Absolutely. Is, that's really special and unique yes. because many, many partnerships don't make it. And, you know, we, I see that a lot with our students. They, they attempt to work together and mm-hmm. it doesn't last long. And, you know, a lot of times I'm sure your relationship has evolved over time as well. Because I think that relationships have to grow just like your business has to grow. And and I'm sure, you know, the communication, the difficult mm-hmm. conversations, that's all been an important part of it. Absolutely. And the vision and values. Thanks for sharing that. So, you know, we talk a lot about failure 
and failure as part of success with our students. And, you know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs have some pretty epic failures as well. Did you ever have any times during this whole journey that things didn't, the outcomes weren't what you expected, you know, that that really, you know, made you question maybe what you were doing or where you had to step back and say, hey, you know, I've got something to learn here? Absolutely. I mean, I think so. So I think one thing we've been fortunate and I want to, you know, sort of hopefully don't jinx myself. I need to knock on wood is is we haven't had any catastrophic business failure. And you always hear the story of, you know, various entrepreneurs that say you have to really kind of have experienced that catastrophic business failure. But we've had a lot of what I would call micro failures. We've had a lot of, you know, mistakes, missteps, decisions that we've made that, you know, were, were setbacks. And, and, you know, a couple that come to mind were like in the early days of our business, we wanted to be so successful so quickly that it seems like we tried to shortcut the success in some in some examples. And we ended up kind of like a mile wide and an inch deep with our business because we were trying to do too many things at once. We were chasing all these different shiny ideas, hoping that they were going to be the, mm-hmm. the quick fix to make us overnight millionaires. And, you know, so it was like, okay, we're going to clean houses and we're going to paint houses and we're going to pressure wash houses and we're going to haul junk and we're going to move people's furniture. And we just kind of kept getting spread wider and wider and none of them were working because we were trying to do too many things all at one time. And so that was a good lesson. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges for us was also coming through the economic downturn because in like 2008, 2009, because right, right. we had just started franchising and it's like we were just ready for liftoff and we were going to hit this exponential growth. And then all of a sudden it felt like we were dragging an anchor through the sand, not really by any mistake of our own. It was just kind of the economic climate we were in. But I think all of those sort of scenarios that we experienced really helped us become better businessmen because we were having to be more resourceful, more strategic. We had to really kind of dig into our, you know, grit as I as I like to call it and 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 kind of just keep grinding through to to make it to the other side and and draw inspiration from other entrepreneurs that had maybe had more catastrophic setbacks and see it's like okay, well they were able to bounce back so we shouldn't just give up or fold up shop and and call it a day. So I think those are some of the 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 lessons in the early days that have kind of helped make us more resilient over those like kind of micro failures as I say, you know, missteps that that have happened over the over the course of the business journey. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times it's about showing up every day, isn't mm-hmm. it? And just continuing to dig in and especially the days when Maybe you don't even want to be there because you're so frustrated and Absolutely. With everything. Well, you know, you've talked about franchising, and I know some of our students and listeners are really interested in that whole process. And I believe that you were the youngest franchisors in Florida, right? At it like was in age America, 22? Actually, in America. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at age 22, I think. Yes. So where did all that not wisdom come from to take that step? Some of it was a little bit of being naive, to be honest with you, because (laughs) we had this glamorized view of what franchising was going to be. It was far from what it actually became in reality. We thought, okay, this is really hard running a business, moving trucks, hiring employees. But if we franchise this business, then it'll become a passive income stream. This sort of, you know, buzzword of passive income kind of got in our heads in our early 20s. So we were like, we'll just sit back, collect royalties, and these, you know, franchise owners will have to do the, the heavy lifting and the work. But that was so far from the reality because franchising as an industry is is really a separate business into itself, and it requires a steep, steep learning curve. It requires a lot of resources and and bandwidth to be able to sell franchises, support the franchises, ensure and and, and help you know and 
curate their success. And you also need 50 to 100 franchisees to have a critical mass number where the royalty stream is sufficient to cover Uh the overhead. And so we didn't really, we kind of went into it pretty blindly. We didn't realize all of those things. And I guess it's a good thing because now looking at it kind of coming through on the other side where we are today with over 100 franchisees and and being very successful it's a great model it's proved to be a great model but it's it's not an overnight success model it's you know I, we describe ourselves as a 15 year overnight success right, right. and we did get a lot of benefit from being involved with the International Franchise Association the IFA they're the ones that kind of helped provide the resources and the tools and kind of the playbooks and the mentors for us to follow to become again better franchise franchisors and so you know we we made all the mistakes that, that people make when they start franchising their businesses we sold to the wrong people that we you know we just kind of signed up anybody that was willing to write a check but we really didn't have any other options cuz we needed that check to keep the lights on right. and keep building the infrastructure but yeah it was it was you know we were definitely you know like you said the, the youngest franchisors in America at the time which maybe was helpful cuz at the time because i think some of the more seasoned franchise executives were excited to kind of have some new energy and and new youthful entrepreneurs entering into the franchise space and were willing to help us and provide us some guidance and and tutelage. Yeah. So you had some guidance along the way. Is that, I think you once mentioned that you worked with some folks here in Tampa. Is that what brought you to Tampa, the idea to franchise or what brought you here to Tampa? No. So the reason we moved to Tampa is because when we started franchising, part of our vision was to have an inbound contact center that booked all the appointments for the franchisees. And the D.C. area, which is where we originally started our company, was just a really high cost of living, cost of labor, cost of office. There was no call center environments to draw talent from. And we started doing some research, and Tampa just kind of popped up on our radar as a kind of up-and-coming market, great quality of life, good cost of living. And for whatever reason, there were a decent number of call center businesses down in the Tampa Mm -hmm. market. And one that caught our eye was Pods, the portable storage franchise, because we thought, hey, you know, they're dealing with people who are moving, that have stuff to put in storage. There's more do-it-yourself, but ours is a full, more of a full-service model. But if they could grow such a successful business with a call center in Tampa market, why couldn't we? And it sure proved to be a great decision for us. It's, I've found the Tampa business community just be very welcoming and accessible, meaning you know you can really get in contact with any key business leaders and they're willing to help up and coming entrepreneurs and, you know, a small town comfort with big city amenities. And one thing that actually kind of, and it's cool for us to be, you know, sitting here at University of Tampa, I ended up becoming neighbors with John Sykes, who of course, you know, started one of the largest call centers in the, in the, in the world. So he also became a mentor of mine along the way as well. And so it's just been a great, great community and a great place to to call home. Yeah, it, it is a great community. I came here 10 years ago, mm-hmm. so maybe a little Right after, about the same yeah, time, about the same I think. Time. Yeah. And it's been amazing to watch the growth mm-hmm. and the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem. And John Sykes, as you mentioned, is a great philanthropist and a supporter of our university as well. So, you know, we were talking about persistence because, you know, a lot of your story, I think, is just, you know, I'm going to show up every day and keep pushing. And I love the quote, Steve Jobs said, I'm convinced that about half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. And I, I hear that in your story. And I know, I mean, I know you and Omar are both smart 
business people as well, but a lot of times you've just kept going. And it reminds me that most successful business people or most successful people actually have routines, rituals, habits that they use to kind of keep them on track. Do you have any that you would say, any routines, any rituals, anything you do that kind of you can fall back on, especially in times like that, or maybe that just keep you going from day to day? Yeah, you know, I think there's a mantra that I've kind of kept in my mind, which is sort of the routine will set you free in, in turn. And it kind of echoes or, or I, says, I guess supports that quote that you shared with Steve Jobs, because I think there's a tendency as an entrepreneur or just the general public in general to get very enamored with kind of these tech unicorns that you hear about in Silicon Valley. You know, that we're going to be the next Airbnb or Snapchat or, or Uber where you get the billion dollar valuation and it seems like it happened overnight. But like I said before, you know, no overnight success happens overnight. And, you know, you look at companies like Starbucks, and I think it was like 25 years before they hit their real tipping point. Same with Apple before they really 10x from, you know, I think 25 years it took them to get to 10,000 employees and they went to 100,000 employees in like the next couple of years. And the same is kind of held true with College Hunks. It was probably the first 12, 13 years for us to get to 30 million a year in revenue. We're going to do now three years later, close to 150 million in revenue. And just so we've hit that exponential tipping point. So I think it, it is just a, a combination of persistence and, and, and patience, quite frankly, is, is being willing to trust the process that long-term results require sort of long-term execution and, and, and consistency. And so, you know, as far as routine, you know, I've started to try to meditate each morning just to kind of not be checking my phone first thing in the morning because the anxiety levels just shoot up and it doesn't set you up for a very, I think, effective headspace day for the, for the rest of the day. I try to really jam my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, and I kind of ease into my Mondays and ease out of my Fridays because I've been able to do that more now than in the early days I was jamming seven days a week. Right, right. But that I think because, you know, that allows me to sort of enjoy the weekend a little bit more and kind of find a little bit more of a work-life balance. You know, trying to find a, a balance is is always been a ch- challenge for me because, You've got now. I've got family. We've got your your you know fitness, wellness needs. You've got the business requirements, and then you still have to have fun and and or enjoy time with friends at some point. So being able to kind of manage all those pieces on the table is difficult. But in the early days, honestly, it was just kind of like a hundred percent head down business seven days a week, and and that I think was probably necessary for us to kind of grind through those those startup days. And I think that's a common theme I hear from entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of a lot of people assume, like you said, it's an overnight success, but that hard work is is a good thing I think for our students to hear for sure. Agreed. And because people will ask me, they'll say, "Hey, did you ever think the business was going to be this big?" And you know, the the aspirational entrepreneur in us when we first started, the ambition was like. Yeah, we thought it was going to be this big after the first year. Right. Like we, we we didn't know it was going to take 15 years for us to get <laughs> to this point. That's perfect. But, you know, so now I can sit here and be like, "Oh, okay. Feels pretty good. We made it." And I can't believe I've just opened my eyes and it's been 15 years of 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 doing a lot of the, the same thing and bringing great people in and 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 so forth, but like I said earlier, anytime we tried to shortcut the success or get impatient, it was five steps in the wrong direction. Right. Right. I want to ask you just a, about franchising because you've done a great job with franchising and you're, as we talked about, you were one of the youngest. And if one of our students or one of our listeners is interested in, fr- in 
using franchising as a way to scale mm-hmm. what they're doing. Could you just kind of give us, you know, a brief kind of what are the first steps? What should they be doing? Yes. So the first thing I would do is go to franchise.org because that's the International Franchise Association website. And they've got a ton of tools and white papers and books and, and resources that you can kind of learn about what is franchising really involve. There's usually three reasons that somebody would use franchising as an expansion tool. Number one, they want to grow the brand relatively quickly into other markets. And with that, they don't have, number two or three, they don't have the capital or the the management resources to deploy into expanding that brand. And so we lacked all three of those things. We wanted to grow the brand. We went into other markets. We didn't have a lot of capital and we didn't have a lot of people we could deploy. So franchising is kind of a mechanism to every time someone opens a franchise, they are making a small investment of capital into the brand, which can then be used to help build the infrastructure and the systems to then support the brand on a larger scale. Before somebody goes down that path, I think it's important to have in my opinion, replicated the model at least more than once in another area or if it's a retail site, you know, site in another location. We didn't do that ourselves. And I think we probably should have because we would have been a little bit more tuned up for selling our first half dozen or a dozen franchises or so. Because what franchising really is all about is about uh, having a business model that other people can follow that are going to have the same success of an existing one. So you also have to already have an existing successful business that can be replicated. If you're just kind of in startup mode trying to figure it out, it's way premature to try to think about franchising because you're going to be selling something that you don't know works or not. Right. So proven success first. Yes. And then reach out to the folks that understand franchising Get into that network and and educate yourself. Become an expert on it. Absolutely. Yep. Proven success. Have it replicated on your own already as maybe like a second pilot store, second corporate store, and have that be a proven success and then go down the path of of learning more about how what tools and resources you need to take advantage of to take it to the next step. I love it. Great, great advice. So the word hunk, you mentioned where it originated, but you've developed it into an acronym for honest, uniform, nice, knowledgeable service. And so you seem to place a great deal of emphasis on culture and your employees. Could you talk a little bit about that, how that all evolved and what that means to the company? We read a lot of books and heard a lot of speakers talk about the importance of, of a company culture. And really what that boils down to is the employee experience within the organization. And there's, you know, been tons of studies shown that happy employees will provide better results for the organization because they're going to provide happy customers. They're going to stay stick around longer. And it's just more fulfilling for the founders to be have people that want to be there, don't feel like they have to be there because then it can become very uh, you know easy to get discouraged or disappointed when things are not going well. And so we made a very intentional focus on our company culture. And there's a, a, a quote I love, which is that culture drives behavior, behavior drives results. So if you have a great culture, it's going to help determine the behavior of your the people within the organization that's going to ultimately drive the results of, of the business. And so the way we define our cultures with our four core values, which are building leaders, always branding, listen, fulfill, delight, and fun, enthusiastic team environment. And we say it's not what's on the walls, it's what's in the halls, meaning it's not just that the core values are on the walls of the building, but it's who we actually hire 
into the building that aligns with that core values that is going to help define the culture. And then again, that ultimately defines the, the results of the organization. So then you also mentioned the HUNK acronym. That's kind of more of our brand promise on the exterior as to what our clients can come to expect, which is that honest, uniform, nice, knowledgeable service experience. And so that focus is not something that we just talk about once on day one of training and we never talk about it. We literally reinforce that daily in our daily huddles. We do monthly awards. We do annual conferences where we you know, spotlight the different core values. And so that has just kind of become a way of, of how we function, how we behave and how we operate as an organization. And it's attracted amazing people. It's resulted in kind of all the different rewards and recognitions, and it's resulted in business success as, as, an, as a byproduct of that. Very cool. So, you know, one of the things I've noticed about you and Omar is that you're, you're guerrilla marketing. <laughs> you're brilliant with guerrilla marketing because I've seen you on a number of different You've been on a number of TV shows, right? I think I actually saw you on Below Decks one time. Yes, you're, yes. And you're wearing your shirt. Mm-hmm. And I think you all have been on some other shows. You, you've written books. You do a lot of speaking. Can, where did that philosophy all come from and how did that start? So, you know, I don't want to say it was shameless self-promotion at the beginning. At the beginning, it was we, we just really didn't have a marketing budget and we were just doing whatever we could to try to get the name out there because we are a consumer brand. And so we were trying, and anybody can have a truck and a logo and a name and a website. So we were trying to figure out how do we get this name out there? So it actually started with just parking our truck in visible locations. And we had one truck, but people would come up to us and be like, what do you have, 20, 30 trucks? I see them all over town. Because <laughs> right. we were parking them in all these different locations around it. the city. Yeah. Uh, and then we had those little bandit signs like the, you know, the, the, like the uh, politicians use when they're running for office. We would put those out. And one of those signs actually led to an article in the Washington Post because a reporter saw it. They were like, that's a catchy name. I'm going to find out about that, that, that business. And she ended up doing a little profile on us in our very first summer. And our sales really spiked after that article came out. So that showed to me that there's sort of power in publicity and power in, in media exposure, especially, again, for a consumer brand, which we are. And so we started just always keeping our eyes open for ways to put the brand in the spotlight. And, you know, a big break for us was the very first episode of the very first season of Shark Tank. We were responding to an ad in Inc. Magazine that said, we're looking for entrepreneurs to pitch an idea for a TV show that's going to be on national television. And we didn't know what the show was. We didn't know who the sharks were because they weren't celebrities yet. We just thought, hey, this could be a way to expose the brand to a national audience. We just started franchising. And so we actually pitched a a sister company. We were going to call it College Foxes Packing Boxes. (laughs) (laughs) And the sharks made an offer, but they wanted College Hunks as kind of collateral. And again, we ended up turning it down at the time because we didn't know who who the sharks were or that the show would become this 10-year sort of pop culture, you know, mainstream program. But those sorts of things, we've always looked for opportunities to to put the business in the spotlight and not shy away from it, not be sort of self-conscious about putting the name out there, putting ourselves out there. And that's why always branding is one of our core values because we, you know, whether it's the people seeing the logo or even just interacting with you as a person, and that now drills down to our our hunks out in the field, you know, we make sure they understand they're on stage when they're out in the community and driving the trucks or interacting with a client and and they're walking, talking billboards for the brand. And that has led to, I think, more awareness of our brand, which is is what we need to to keep it growing. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I I was it Omar that was on The Bachelor? Or? It was a Millionaire Matchmaker Mil- million- on Bravo. Yeah. And, you know, they the producer reached out to us after seeing us on Shark Tank 
And in our minds, we're thinking, you know, what is the potential business angle here aside from having fun or maybe getting a date, right? And, and there's neither one of those really helps our business. And so Omar ended up picking up his date in a college hunks hauling junk yeah. truck <laughs> and taking her to a nice restaurant, valet parking it at Beverly Hills. Actually, this was after they went and cleaned out a garage right, uh, right. For, for the date. <laughs> for the date. So I yeah. wouldn't recommend that as a date, but it made for good television. And again, that show probably reran at least two dozen times on Bravo. And we had people coming up to us saying, oh, I saw you guys on that TV show. And we actually probably sold two or three franchises as a result of that, that exposure. Yeah, the power of publicity. It's amazing. Well, you all have done a great job with that. So you've had a ton of success, you and Omar both. The early fr first uh, youngest franchisers in America. I think you were listed by Inc. Ma Inc. Magazine as top 30, under 30. And last year, I believe you were Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year, yes. right? Yes, we were. And that so, was after our third time being, or that was our third time being a finalist. So, so we had, you know, gone through the finalist process twice. And I guess third time was a charm. Charm for one. you, but lots of success. So what's next for Nick Friedman? Where are you headed now? So, you know, learning from my past, I've learned to stay very focused and and not try to get spread too thin. I think there's a tendency as entrepreneurs, we have a little bit of what I call entrepreneurial ADD, which I say stands for all damn day because we can't <laughs> turn it off. Our mind doesn't stop. And, but we do have a tendency to want to chase all these different shiny ideas. But then you kind of lose fulfillment because you get spread so thin and you can't really be in the moment or enjoy kind of where you are pre in, in the present moment. And so College Hunks is at a point now where it doesn't need me in the day-to-day. -day. We've got some great executive management leading the team. And so I'm more what I would call the visionary where I can kind of see and, and, and be an entrepreneur within College Hunks and not be bogged down with as much of the day-to-day the -day operational. So I'm really enjoying that place currently. So I don't want to really rock that boat, so to speak. I want to you know keep innovating and growing College Hunks because I think we haven't even scratched the surface of what it can be. All that being said, we did launch a, a sister company about three or four years ago called Trash Butler, which is not franchise. It's more of a business-to-business -business service for apartment complexes, and that's going very well also. And so we actually raised outside capital for that business, so a little bit of a different growth strategy. But they kind of complement each other, the two services, because you know College Hunks can move the residents that are in those apartment complexes. Trash Butler does the doorstep valet service for the uh, communities. And so you know, kind of focusing on those two businesses is, is I would say, the next five, 10 years and become at some point, maybe more of an investor in early stage businesses, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, angel round or, or series A round businesses, I think would also be fun down the road. And I know you give back a lot by mentoring and working with your franchise owners and working with students. So we appreciate that. I know Absolutely. our students have worked with you a lot. Before we close, I'm going to ask you, I guess, the, the question that's always a little bit tough to answer because there's so much. But sure. if there was one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners, what would it be? I'll pick two pieces of advice. Because okay. one I've already sort of said, but it's worth repeating, I think, which is to stay patient slash, you know, trust the process. You know, don't get overwhelmed or disheartened if things don't happen as quickly as you wanted them to. You know, most entrepreneurs don't say, I made more money faster than I thought I would. It's usually the, the other way around. 
The other piece of advice I would give is on the other end, once you do reach a level of success, stay hungry and stay humble because there are people going to be coming behind to try to knock you off the top. And the moment you get complacent or put things completely on autopilot is when, you know, things can go south very quickly. So those would be sort of the bookend advices that I'd give great, an entrepreneur. Great advice. So as we close, we may have some listeners that want to become franchisors with you or want to find out more. Where can our listeners find you and connect with you? Sure. So collegehunks.com is our main website and there's our, you know, moving and calling services, employment opportunities, as well as franchise opportunities on that site. I also have a personal site, nickfriedman.com, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, where you can learn about our book, Effortless Entrepreneur. You can, you know, connect with me on social media and so forth. Thank you, Nick. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you. 